0: Well, if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter number 6. The book of Ecclesiastes in chapter number 6. We're continuing to go through this wonderful book of the Bible. And uh, it's wonderful meaning from the truths that we learn, but it's not wonderful dealing with the idea of why it's being written. The King Solomon is at the end of his life, he is um, not regarded God in the last 15 years of his life. And so as he's taking an honest look back, he's realizing that life without regard to God just leaves an empty life. Now we come to an important principle because now the theme changes. Now the the idea switches and we learn a life-changing principle in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter number six. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter number six, and notice with me if you don't mind, in verse number one. Ecclesiastes chapter six in verse number one, the Bible says this, "'There is an evil which I have seen under the sun.' And it is common among men, a man whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. If a man beget a hundred children... And live many years, so that the days of his years may be many, and his soul not be filled with good, and also that he had no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. For he he cometh in with vanity, and departeth in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor known anything. This hath more rest than the other." Yea, though he live a thousand years twice told, yet hath he seen no good. Do not all go to one place? All the labor of a man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wondering of the desire. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. That which hath been is already named, and it is known that it is a man. Neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. Seeing Seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? For who knoweth what is good for man in this life, all the days of his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow? For who can tell a man what shall be after him? Under the sun. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I would like for you to mark something very specific today as we highlight a principle. Notice with me in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 6. Ecclesiastes, chapter 6. And notice with me the very last verse. If you don't mind, as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 6, and notice with me, uh, as it starts, verse number 12, chapter 6, verse 12. Notice it says, for who. Mark that word, who. And then notice the next two words <coughs> we're getting to. Notice what. Who, and then what. Notice again at the end of verse number 12, we see the same idea again for who can tell a man what notice that word who and then notice the word what so twice in here we have this principle here that who comes before what who comes before what and with the Lord's help, we want to try to explore this biblical principle that is found throughout the Bible, that who comes before what? Who comes before what? Now, throughout the Bible, we see this is a clear principle. The who comes before the what. Sometimes you may have heard me say it, that God is always previous, That it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. That everything needs to start with God and whom he is. And when God is in his rightful place, everything else flows to its rightful place. You know, sometimes we get things backwards and we do that as a commonality. For example, we like to ask kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? What is the career you want to do? Instead of asking that, what we should honestly be saying is, what does the Lord have for you in your life? Because the who goes before the what. Because I've looked for God and found out what God wants for me, now I'm following the path that he has set for me. The who comes before the what. This is an important thing. We find out what God says. We find out who God is. And when we have a clear vision of God, then we could find out what does he desire for us? When we don't do it this way, when we decide we want to find out what we want, when we want to try to make our own path, then we follow in the same suit as Solomon that we look and said, this is all vanity. It's all empty. We've wasted this time. We wasted our efforts. We wasted our life because we sought for what we wanted instead of the purpose that God had for us. The who." comes before the what. If you don't mind, I'm just going to show you several different passages really quick before we dive into going through Ecclesiastes to show you this principle of the who before the what, that it starts with God. And when we have God, then what happens is that uh, we find out what God has for us. We're going to come back to Ecclesiastes chapter 6, but if you don't mind, explore with me some other parts of the Bible. Turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. If you're familiar with the Bible, remember there are certain chapters of the Bible that as soon as you say them, that you know exactly what they are, that you already have it fulfilled. For example, Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. That should be automatic. So Exodus 19 is right before the Ten Commandments. The people of Israel have been uh, led from Egypt in an exodus through the Red Sea. And now they have arrived at Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. They are going to, in the next chapter, receive the Ten Commandments directly from God. But as they arrive here, God gives them a principle. In Exodus 19, and notice with me in verse 4, for those of you who are familiar with my license plate, you should be, know this verse. Exodus 19, and notice with me verse 4. Ye have seen what I, this is God speaking, did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagle's wings, notice this, and brought you where? To Egypt? Brought you where? To Mount Sinai? Brought you where? To a place? I brought you to myself. Brought you to myself. We understand that God does not bring us to a place. He brings us to a person. That the path that God puts into your life is for the purpose of bringing you to himself. Why? Because it all begins with God. God wants you to know him personally. He wants to have a personal relationship. He wants to reveal himself to you. And so the things that he has put in your life. Now notice the expression here. He says, I bear you on eagle's wings. That a baby (laughs) eaglet, when they start learning to fly, they start off by being on mom's wings. And the mom's the one who teaches the baby and teaching them how to fly by flying themselves. And they realize this is what we're supposed to do. And God says, I bear you on eagle's wings. I brought you from this place to that, not to bring you to a location, but to bring you to a person, to bring you to myself. So again, it starts off with God, that God is not trying to bring you to a job, to a location. He's trying to bring you to himself. There's a second principle that we understand with the same idea, just exploring the Bible. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Psalm 37. This is a passage that if you do not have highlighted, I encourage you to do so. (laughs) Psalm 37. And notice with me, starting at verse 3. Psalm 37, Psalm 37, notice with me in verse 3 Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Notice in verse 4 Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Here we understand here that what we do is not as important as who God is. That our goal is to seek after God. And when we seek after him, then he gives us desires. He gives us the path that we ought to go, that it all begins with seeking for him. Again, so often we get things backwards and we try to do things ourselves. We try to tackle things ourselves. We try to go and accomplish things ourselves. but it should begin with God, that it starts with trusting in God. Notice again, delight thyself also in the Lord. If you're not delighting in the Lord, then you've already bypassed everything. We should be delighting in him, seeking after him. If you're not reading your Bible, you're definitely not delighting in him. And if you resent reading your Bible, you're definitely not delighting in him. Delight thyself in the Lord. And he, God, shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Does this mean that if I um, decide to read my Bible that God's going to give me a red Lamborghini? No. No. (laughs) What's going to happen is that God is going to place his desires in your heart. That as you follow him, he will change what you want. He will change what you want to get accomplished. Why? It all begins with God. That as we follow after him, he's the one that's going to guide us and direct us. The who comes before the what. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. I'm going to trust you to guide my step, to bring me exactly where you want. And as I'm trusting him, he will do what he said he was going to do and bring it to pass with that same idea, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, which is a companion to this psalm's passage, saying the same thing again in a different way. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, and notice with me in verse number 5. Proverbs chapter 3 starting at verse number five. Notice what it says. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not into thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Once again, we're finding this principle, the who comes before the what. That if we seek after God and trust him, he will guide us to where we're supposed to go. That Where we're supposed to go is his business. What we're supposed to do is his business. Our business is to seek after him, to look for him. That God is always previous, looking for him. Notice this principle is continued throughout the Bible. Turn with me to the gospel record of Mark chapter 3. Those of you who come faithfully to this church, you're familiar with this passage we're bringing you to. Mark chapter 3. And I'm saying that because I'm going to ask a question, and those of you who have been here for a while, I don't want you to answer. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, Jesus Christ is calling the disciples to himself. He's choosing the 12 out of the ones who have been following him. Notice with me Mark chapter 3 and notice with me in verse number 13. Mark chapter 3 and verse number 13. And he, that's Jesus, goeth up to a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. And he, Jesus, ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. Now again, those of you who've been faithful to my teachers, workers, meeting, evening, school, don't answer. For those of you who are not, someone... Why did Jesus call, ordain the 12? Why did he choose the 12? Someone give me an answer? Yes. I'm going to call on someone. Come on. Why did he choose the 12? So they could be with him to be with him. Good. That's the right answer. Normally people say the reason why God called them to, uh, called them and ordained them is to send them forth to preach. That's not the right answer. He sent them forth to be with him. And after they've been with him, now they can go forth to preach until they've been with him. They have nothing to preach, Again, the who comes before the what. So often we try to do things without first being with him. That our time with God must precede our time with men. Before I deal with people, I've got to spend time with God. I've got to have his mind on it. I've got to seek after him. The who must become for for the what. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. This is a biblical principle that we must have. Otherwise, we end up in Solomon's shoes and saying, my whole life is empty, vanity. It's wasted because I try to do things my own path. I try to do it my own way. I look back at my life and say, it wasn't as fulfilling as I thought it'd be. I'm more miserable than I thought I should be. Because we try to do it our own way. That it all must begin with God. The who must come before the what. Now turn back to Ecclesiastes as we're continuing tracing this thought. Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Ecclesiastes chapter number 6. We also understand that what we have is not as important as who God is. The who comes before the what. Notice with me, chapter six, Ecclesiastes six, starting at verse one. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. Ecclesiastes six: one. So as Solomon is giving the observation, he says, There's an evil under the sun. And it's common. Most people deal with it. Most people have it. What is this evil? A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth, yet God hath not given him power to eat thereof. But a stranger eateth it. It is vanity and an evil disease. There are some people who go around their lives trying to... um, have wealth and position. And what they're going to do is because they put all of their life in trying to get wealth and position and power and fame, it's going to be vanity because all of those wealth and riches and fame, you don't take with you. They're going to be left behind. And if that was your goal, then when you hit to the other side, you're not going to have anything to show for it. You're going to come out empty. Notice as it goes on, verse 2. Uh, Verse 3 rather. If a man beget a hundred children, all right? So here's a scenario a guy has a hundred kids and he lives many years, so that the days of his years be many, and his soul be not filled with good, also that he hath no burial. I say that an untimely birth is better than he, for he that cometh in with vanity, and departeth in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor known anything. This is more rest than the other. Yea, though he live a thousand years twice told, yet hath he seen no good. Do not all go to one place? So here it's giving a scenario. Here's a guy who's has a hundred kids. Here's a guy who's lived forever and doesn't die. He has no burial. So can you imagine? This is what some people live for. Some people live just for their kids, And they put all of their life in their children. And then their children leave them and now what are they left with? Or worse yet, your children don't want to have anything to do with you and you put all of your life in your kids and now they're gone. What are you left with? Or have a guy who says, I want to live forever. Let's say that a guy lives forever. He lives forever. He doesn't die. He's... He just has all the life that you could ever want. And yet, without God giving them purpose, the Bible says it's better for someone who has an untimely birth. That's their way of saying someone that was born stillborn. They were born and they died uh, immediately. He says, the, guy, the baby that died immediately is better than the guy who lives forever, who doesn't know God, doesn't have purpose Could you imagine living forever? How boring life might get if you had no purpose in it? You've done all the entertainment. You've done everything that you can. You've just enduring life. It becomes a curse and not a blessing when there's no purpose, no fulfillment. Without regard to God, it all messes up. Notice as it continues to go on, as it's giving this idea and verse number seven, and all the labor of a man for his mouth, yet the appetite is not fulfilled. For what hath the wise more than the fool? And what hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This is also the vanity and vexation of spirit. So what we have is not important as who God is. The who comes before the what. Now all that was introduction. That's the principle we want to get across. The who comes before the what. Let's look through the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes here. And let's pull some more as we have this principle that the who comes before the what, that it all begins with God, that God is always previous. The first thing we see and understand is that God is the God of the past. God is the God of the past. Notice with me in verse number 10. God is the God of the past. That which has been named already, and it is known that it is man, neither he contend with him that is or him. But notice that phrase: that which hath been named already. That's the idea of the past. We should not try to unwind our past. Now, we're very good at playing second guessing. We're very good at uh, uh, (laughs) uh, the couch quarterback of looking in our life and say, I wish this didn't happen to me and I wish I would have had this better and I wish this could have changed. You understand that there are choices that God made and even in those choices, God is able to use those things to bring you to where you should be, namely here. There's sometimes that people would say, man, I wish I knew these principles earlier. And we understand what we mean by that, that there were some mistakes that you could have avoided. But you understand that God brought you here for this time and this place. Let's say that perhaps you were more interested in religious things when you were younger and went to a church that maybe didn't teach the Bible like this. And then you developed a watered down Christianity. Would that have been better? God brought you for this time, for this place, with the idea that now you are ready to receive it and listen to it and apply it. Does it make sense? There are things that are in our past that help prepare us for where we are now, that help make us, mold our personality, shape us, develop our worldviews. Not all of it is good, but remember that we believe that all things work together for good to them that know God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Not all things may be good, but God used that to bring us to good. That's what his goal was, was to bring us to himself. Without some of those things in our life, we may not respond to God the way that we ought to. God is trying to do those things to bring us to trust in him, to depend upon him. God is always previous and God is the God of the past. We can't do anything about the past, but we can recognize that God knew what he was doing. It may not have been the things we wanted, but God knew what he was doing for this time, for this place. He's preparing. We see that our God is the God of the present. Our God is the God of the present. Notice with me in verse 10 again. And that which is also named already, and it is known that it is man, neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. Seeing that there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? For who knoweth what is good for man? in this life. This carries the idea of the present. God knows what is good for us. He knows what we need. Some of us are miserable because we think that I can't be happy now. I'm not fulfilled now. Something must change. I cannot be happy at this moment. Well, you'll never be happy because you're always looking for something else to make you happy. We can trust in God and trust his fulfillment, his satisfaction. That God is enough. Mm -hmm. And when you have God, you have what God, what you need in your life. And that God can give the supply. That Jesus is the answer to our prayers. We need wisdom? Well, you need Jesus. You need finances? Well, you need Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the answer. And when we seek after him and we find him, we find our life is more fulfilled than we could have ever done by Mm ourselves. That God is always previous That it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. That if we make God our goal in present tense, we find that our life was fulfilled. We find that he gives us what we're supposed to do. He shows us the next step. He shows us what we can get accomplished now. He shows us what we can have with his help. That instead of seeking for other things now, we should be seeking after God. The who comes before the what. When we seek after him, those other things seem more fulfilled. Instead of chasing empty dreams, we can be fulfilled in the life that we have now. We all know people who are miserable, current, present tense. They're not happy. And they all have, if I have more money, if I had this one thing, if this was fixed, if they didn't behave like this, if I had this. And they're miserable people because they're looking for things they don't currently have. And yet, they can have the satisfaction that God has for them. Now, I understand for people who may not be uh, churchgoers, they may not do, uh, understand what we're saying quite yet, they may scratch their head and say, this sounds like garbage. <laughs> what do you mean? God's fulfill me. You don't understand. I have real needs. I do understand you have real needs. But if you had those needs fulfilled, would you truly be happy? God is willing to give us a fulfillment in our life that we can't understand until we have it. And he's able to lead us in a step that we can avoid other mistakes. We've all made mistakes and left our own devices. We're going to make more. You just give us a couple minutes without looking to God and we could say something to ruin a relationship in a couple minutes time. It's 30 seconds we can destroy something that we built 30 years to build. We need the Lord and left to our own devices, we do not make our lives better. We have to have God and we seek after him and have him. He can help us be fulfilled today and then supply for what we need to continue to go forward. Give us a plan, give us purpose, give us peace. How many people today do not have peace and they would do anything to have peace? There are so many people that don't have direction and they do anything if they could know their direction. So many people that don't have purpose and they would do anything. Why do I exist? Why am I here? And if they could just have that answered, there would be so much. Well, God can give the answers to those great questions of who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Where am I going? Where did I come from? God has those answers. And whereas someone who's listening to this, it may scratch their head like, what is this guy talking about? I'm telling you, there are real answers and real peace and real purpose that anyone can have and that people are missing out on. Well, we understand that God is the God of the past. God is the God of the present. God is also the God of the future. Notice again in verse number 12. Again... (laughs) Notice as we hit the who's and the what's again, for who knoweth what is good for man in this life, all the days of his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow for who can tell what uh, tell a man what shall be after him under the sun. Our future is in God's hands. And from his vantage point, we know that God doesn't see time the way we see it. He sees time all at once. God is always present. There is no past tense with God. There's no future tense with God. Now, we're different because we're stuck in time. We, we are going in one direction. We don't know what's ahead of us. But God knows all about it. And that we can spend time looking at him and he could direct our path. Maybe I could give an illustration. Um, the Colorado River is a river that winds through the Grand Canyon. It's a very windy river. And so let's imagine that we had a group of people who were <coughs> on, um, excuse me, on some rafts that started before us. Then we went and then there were some people that started on some rafts behind us. Because of the windy path that's going on, where we are present tense, we can't see what's ahead. And nor can the people ahead of us tell us what we're fixing to face. Well, let's imagine that we had a helicopter that was flying overhead. And that the helicopter can see the people ahead of us. They can see the people behind us. And they can see us all at the same time. And if we had proper communication to that helicopter, they can direct us to what we're fixing to face. Hey, there's some rapids up here. Hold on tight. Hey, there's some boulders to the left. Why don't you go to the right? And they could direct us in the path that we're at. Well, God sees all of time all at once. He sees where we came from. He sees what we're currently going through. And he can see what we are about to face. And when we're looking at him, the who, he can tell us about the what. And he could direct our path. He could bring us to the place where we may not realize that we're going to be in trouble if we're spending time with these people. But maybe he could direct our path. And instead of hanging out with these people, he directs us out. Those people get in trouble and we're not there. I speak to teenagers a lot. They understand that. That maybe we're about ready to make a decision left to our own device. And if we make this decision, we're going to wreck everything. We're just going to wash up on shore, hit the cliffs, go off the the waterfall But we said, you know, before I uh, start trying to do this myself, maybe I should actually look at God. All right, God, I'm going to try this. Lord, I give you my path. You direct my path. And he directs our path out of the way. And we look back and said, man, I would have hit that. I would have wrecked everything. The wonderful thing about our God is that he is able to direct our path. He's able to bring us to a job. Can you imagine? Think back when you were younger. Some of you are younger, so think about when you're at. You have a whole life ahead of you. And with that life, you've got a lot of choices to make. Who are you going to marry? Where are you going to live? What are you going to do <laughs> for a job, a career? Where are you going to go to church? Those are big decisions. And for those of us who are adults, you might remember, let's say you remember leading up to your marriage, they have that phrase, you got cold feet. Every person getting ready to go married has that time where they go, am I making the right decision? Am I marrying the right person? I hope I am. I think I am. Maybe I am. Here we go. And there's a lot of unknowns there. Am I doing the right thing? This is a big decision. Why did they stop and think? Why'd you stop and think? Because this is a huge decision to be made that's going to affect all of your life. Do I want to be stuck with this person for the rest of my life? I mean, do I get to be stuck with this person? Those are questions that run through your mind. Well, if you're able to have God make that choice for you, he knows exactly who to be married to and to give you that comfort, and that way you can have a thriving, happy marriage. The idea of what should I do for a living? Remember a lot, we ask kids all the time, what do you want to do for a living? What do you want to do for a living? Well, that's a big choice. How many people that we know are stuck in jobs they hate, but can't get out of it because they need the money, they need the insurance, they need the whatever else, and they're miserable and they make everybody else miserable too. Well, if you allow God to direct your path, he knows what job to take. You you may not even think uh, this is the job for you, but he says, this is the job. And you go, this is wonderful. I would have never picked this job myself. And God could give you a satisfaction that you would have not ever had if you were anywhere else. A fulfillment. The who comes before the what and learning to trust in him. If you could forgive me, I don't usually do this, but if I can give personal illustration, I have a couple of them I can do. But I remember that as a young man, (laughs) I always wanted to be a scientist. I love science. And by the time I was a a teenager, I knew I wanted to be a quantum physicist. I like science. That's just nerd talk, all right? That was my goal. So by the time I was ready to graduate, I could have went to whatever college I wanted. I'm a nerd, I'm smart, ego out the roof. I mean, I'm IQ out the roof. You know know what I mean, nerd. So... (laughs) I had just started going back to church in the last couple of years and learning how to pastor who loved me. And I wasn't the most obedient, but I was learning. And so I got a hold of this principal and said, All right, you know, my pastor said that I need to leave the choice up to God. So, you know what? I'm going to try this out. God, what college do you want me to go to? He said, Join the Air Force. Now, again, it wasn't an audible voice, it wasn't uh, angels coming down, but It was a prompting of a spirit that it was just as if it was an audible voice. And I said, what are you talking about? Join the military. That's not what I asked you. I said, what college do you want me to go to? Join the Air Force. Well, I said, I asked him, so might as well. And I'm glad I did because I know myself, I would have been educated to the point of ignorance I would not be here today. I would be one of those quote unquote Christian science people who knew more than everybody else, too big for my britches, and I would have never followed God. God protected me. Maybe I could give a different illustration. After serving in the military, I, (coughs) excuse me. I had uh, already surrendered to the idea, if I have a wife, I'm going to let God issue me a wife. I'm not going to bother looking. And it got to the place where I was so hard hearted that um, I kept saying women are evil and I could prove it from the Bible. I'm not looking for a wife. Well, I was teaching a Sunday school class of eight to 12 year olds and I taught them about prayer and those little guys got it. And they determined that every Sunday morning in class out loud, they would pray for me a wife. You know, and it was cute the first couple weeks, but they continued on. And after a year of praying, I could feel them starting to change my heart. I could feel God starting to work and say, I'm going to get you a wife soon. And like, okay, what's going to go on? Well, I'm not going to go look for a wife, so I'm just going to press on. Well, it just so happens that my pastor was going to go get a bus for a, a bus ministry. And as he was traveling back, he got caught in a snowstorm. Oh, <gasps> But God knew what he was doing. And because he couldn't make it back to our home church, he had to stop because of the snowstorm and stop at a little rinky-dink small church that he knew the pastor of for 11 years. They were friends and parked the bus, waited out the storm, had a good Sunday evening service. The pastor of the church invited him to um, stay overnight and they fed him a meal. And um, he didn't say anything that I have a young preacher boy that's looking for a wife. He didn't say anything at all. Just ate lunch with his family, came back down. The next day, he called me up and we were giving him a report. I was assistant to the pastor. So giving him an explanation what happened during the Sunday, who was there, who wasn't, what all happened. And at the end of the conversation, he said, by the way, I met your wife and I'm ordering you to call her. What? What? Well, he knows I'll never disobey an order. So I said, well, what am I supposed to tell her? Well, tell her, I said, she's supposed to be your wife. Okay. So I call up. I call (laughs) and um, talk to the pastor who had hosted my pastor. And I said, I'm just a young preacher boy from uh, Western Hills Baptist Church. And I just wanted to thank you for taking care of my pastor. Thank you for taking care of him and uh, feeding him. He says, okay, okay. By the way, Uh, I understand you have a daughter. I do. Well, my pastor wanted to know if I could talk to your daughter. He goes, well, she's not here right now. Okay. He says, but she'll be here at 6.30 and if you call at 6.30, I'll let you talk to her. Okay. Well, some of you already know where this is going. My wife came home from work. My not wife then, Miss Leah came back from work and had lunch or had supper. They were eating supper and at 6.25, Uh, her dad said, hey, by the way, we had a young preacher boy call and he was thanking us for taking care of Pastor Artisty. Great, wonderful. You know, she was thinking preacher boy. Now at this time, we're in our mid-twenties. So when she heard preacher boy, she was thinking a snot-nosed little kid, you know, who's maybe thinking about Bible college. So she's like, oh, um, by the way, he asked to speak with you. She went, what? She started going through her mind, trying to figure out who's this Scotty. Do I know anybody like that? Started going through her mind. She goes, what am I supposed to tell him? My father or her dad said, well, just let him do the questions. You know, let him leave. Okay, sure. So I call at 6.30 on the dot and speak with her. Thank her for taking care of my pastor and said, "Um," and then I asked her, how did you come to know the Lord? Well, my wife had always wanted someone to care about her soul first, to ask her how she came to know about the Lord. Not just to look, uh, look at her because of her looks, but to ask about her on the inside. Does she know the Lord? So we had a conversation at the end. I said, well, I um, (laughs) called you tonight because I had to. If I call you tomorrow night, it's because I wanted to, not because I'm forced to. She goes, what do you mean by that? Well, my pastor ordered me to call you. Why? He said, you're going to be my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And so um, the next day I prayed and said, I believe I'm going to call her up. So we um, (laughs) called her up, began to speak with her. And uh, at this time, we didn't send pictures, and now this is before texting, so uh, we decided we were going to email each other. That was something we used to do before texting. And uh, we still hadn't seen pictures of each other, and we decided we were going to try to disqualify each other, meaning that we're going to ask hard Bible questions to see if we can stumble them, and oh, nope, nope, they didn't know the Bible, so I don't have to go out with them. And for two weeks, we kept emailing each other back and forth, asking hard questions, and found out, hey, we... We're actually compatible. We believe the same things. So we ended up meeting at a youth rally um, (coughs) the third week. And I'm an old cowboy. I'm just going through the whole story. Just forget me. So now I'm an old cowboy. So I thought I would dress up in my greatest duds, which was black jeans, black pants, black shirt, black hat, Air Force glasses, (laughs) and um, meet with her. And spent, (laughs) we spent time talking and my wife was super, super shy. You think she's shy now? She was super shy. She couldn't speak to anyone, much less a guy. But yet we were able to speak comfortably. At the end, her parents were packing up things and they looked at her and said, so what'd you think? She goes, I thought he was a dork. (laughs) And they all laughed. She goes, but I felt like I could tell him everything. And then they got super quiet. The next week they invited me to go door knocking with them. This time I'm cleaned up. I'm wearing shirt, tie, sweater, vest, normal size glasses instead of those big glasses they gave us in the air force. And this time when she saw me, she opened the door and then shut it because she couldn't speak to me anymore. <laughs> they finally allowed me in. We went door knocking. And at the end of um, door knocking, we decided that we didn't believe in dating because dating wasted time and emotions that belong to God. We wanted to seek God first and get God's plan and direction before we wasted motions on this. So we got together and we went to the church and we prayed for two hours out loud together. When we're done, we believe that God wanted us to move forward. And for our marriage, that has given us such a stability. The divorce has not been set in our house. Murder has, but divorce has not. Because we knew that God put us together. We had that assurity. We knew God's plan on this. And I would have never chosen her out of myself. But God knew what he was doing and she's the perfect wife for me. She puts up with me, she compliments me well. I could have never chose better. Does it make sense? Now again, to forgive the illustration, what I'm trying to do is that this works. You could seek after God and God can uh, guide your steps and bring you to the place to bring you to the person, to bring you to all of this other stuff that you would have never found on your own. That you put God first. That God is previous. That God is, (laughs) it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. That as we seek after him, he will give us the desires of our heart. That as we spend time with him, now we could deal with other men. It's trusting in him, letting him guide our steps, letting him direct us that God is a God that we can trust, that the who comes before the what. Let's seek after God and allow him to make the choices for us because he will direct us the way that we ought to go better than we ever could ourselves. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, let me beg you to take the time